It is your Friday Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Glad to be back for final show of the week. Hope you guys are having a good one out there as well. We have a lot to get to today. Rachel Blount from the Star Tribune will join me here in just a little bit. World Cup cross-country skiing event this weekend. We've been waiting a long time for it. It was supposed to happen here about four years ago. It got canceled because of COVID right before it was going to happen in March. Now it is happening this weekend despite the balmy winter. We got some snow recently. They've been making snow around the clock. They are ready to go. Jesse Diggins, Minnesota native, one of the best, if not the greatest skiers right now, um, will be competing in that. She was instrumental in bringing this event to Minneapolis. The festivities Saturday and Sunday at Worth Park in Minneapolis. A lot of people looking forward to it. Rachel will get you ready for everything you need to know about it and offer some great perspectives on just what this event means to you know Jesse Diggins, how you know how much this has been a, an event in the making and things like that. So I hope you enjoy that conversation here in just a little bit. Timberwolves won again. They go into the break. 39 and 16. We'll get to the Wolves here in a little bit. Caitlin Clark broke the all time women's basketball NCAA scoring record. Got to talk about Caitlin here in a little bit. Got some Rob Manfred TV stuff. Go for basketball in a second here. First, though, what I miss, I don't know why, but I want to start with go for football today because something caught my eye yesterday i know i've talked a little bit of gophers this week already with randy johnson with chip scoggins but i saw these odds released yesterday um it was from one of these online gambling sites they're everywhere but um it was over unders over under win totals for all the teams in the major major conferences right now in college football for 2024 and again these are subject to change right like you know team ends add someone else in the transfer portal maybe that changes the odds, but you know, most of what's happened so far has already happened, right? Like the we've seen, we've seen the major transfer window already. We've seen <laughs> transfer window. It sounds like since like we're talking about European soccer, the transfer window, but it kind of is what it is. There, there's like a couple big transfer portal windows for college athletics now. We've seen most of the big moves probably already. Maybe a little bit more happens after spring practice if guys start to figure out, hey, maybe I'm not as high on the depth chart, things like that. But teams are pretty much kind of knowing what they have going into 2024, and the coaching cycle has mostly taken taken hold. And again, Gophers were almost caught up in that with, with UCLA needing a new head coach and maybe flirting with P.J. Fleck, but Fleck staying here. So the, the over-under totals probably shouldn't change a whole lot. In the Big Ten, the Gophers have the lowest over-under total, four and a half wins, the lowest total in the entire Big Ten, according to this uh, online odds-making site. That surprised me. That does not tell me great things about where this program is headed next year. Now, a lot of it, I think, has to do with, of course, the schedule. We've been talking for a long time about how the schedule is not getting any easier, and we'll certainly get to that in a minute, but four and a half wins. So that's basically saying you're you're betting that they're going to win you know more or less than four and a half games so you could you would win a bet if they went five and seven next year which was not which would not be a good season that would be exactly what they were last year before getting to go to a bowl game because of their academic progress winning that game going finishing six and seven so this would be essentially a repeat of last year would be would be deemed good at least in the eyes of these odds 
you would lose, uh, or you could bet on them to to win four or fewer games. So the, the line is four and a half. That is where they were saying. That's where they were saying. This is where the Gophers are now. There's a bunch of teams where they've set the line at five and a half. Illinois, Indiana, Michigan State, Northwestern, Purdue, and yes, UCLA is also in that mix at five and a half. The the job that maybe PJ Fleck could have had, or the you know the team that kind of wanted him, it was taking a pretty strong look at him last weekend. So four and a half. So it's not like they're way you know way behind a bunch of other teams, but it is it is telling that that is where they are right now. Four and a half wins. They got you kind of your traditional powers. Ohio State ten and a half. You see Oregon jumping right into the Big Ten ten and a half. You know, UCLA not great, five and a half, but USC seven and a half, Washington seven and a half. So they're bringing in some good teams. You see the strength of what's coming into the conference. Wisconsin sitting there at six and a half. They don't think a whole lot of Wisconsin next year. Iowa seven and a half, Michigan nine and a half. So you, it, there's some strong teams on the schedule. Penn, Penn State nine and a half. So you look at the Gophers' schedule next year, and this is really probably why we're seeing this. So you look at. Non-conference schedule. Home against North Carolina. That will be an interesting one, right? North Carolina doesn't have Drake May anymore, but I was at that road game this year at North Carolina, and I can tell you North Carolina was a much better program than the Gophers were last year. Now, Drake May was a big part of that, but that will be a tough game again with North Carolina coming to Minnesota this year. North Carolina, of course, an ACC team. Their win total set at 8.5, so they are expected to be pretty good again next season. So then the Gophers have... Rhode Island here, Nevada here. You'd like to think they could win both of those games, but neither one of those games are sure things, of course. But you'd like to see, let, let's give them a 2-1 and one non-conference record. Let's say they're going to win two of those games, especially the Rhode Island and Nevada games. Not a, not a sure thing, of course. Those are, you know, programs, anybody can win any given day. But let's say they go 2-1. and one. So you got to find, to beat the over-under of 4.5, you got to find three Big Ten wins out of nine Big Ten games. Okay, you're starting out Iowa at home September 21st. That's possible, right? They beat Iowa last year. Um, certainly possible to beat Iowa. Should be a low-scoring game, but you never know. At Michigan, don't love their chances in that game. Let's just be honest. Next game after that, home against USC. USC is supposed to be pretty good next year. That's not going to be an easy game. Next one after that, at UCLA. That should be an interesting game. UCLA not supposed to be great. They're, they're again, first-year coach Deshaun Foster after Chip Kelly left to go to Ohio State. Then home against Maryland. Yeah, you can see them winning that game potentially. At Illinois, okay, kind of a toss-up. At Rutgers. Rutgers is supposed to be pretty decent next year, so maybe not a great chance to win that one. Home against Penn State. Penn State's supposed to be really good next year, so that's going to be a tough one. Then at Wisconsin, another tough one. So the schedule is a lot harder than it has been in past years, and there's no cushiony Big Ten West anymore, right? It's all just wide open. You're not trying to win the Big Ten West anymore. It's just this big, wide-open space. So I can see why there's skeptics. I can see why the number might be that low. It just caught my attention. Like, wow, this is a program that, you know, when we talk about the good things P.J. Fleck has done here, we, we kind of, you know, we erased the COVID year and we kind of gave him a pass for last year because everything else had been pretty good, right? 11 wins in 2019, 9 wins in 2021, 9 wins in 2022. Even if you lop off the bowl game wins, you know, 10, 8, and 8. I mean, those are good teams. Those were good years for the Gophers. That seemed like it set a baseline standard. But now you're telling me 4.5 after last year winning 5, 4.5 is the standard with... The schedule they have this year—that's troubling. That means like 
I don't know. That just that tells me that this is a this is a more important year. That things are bleaker. The the outside perception is at least that things could even be more bleak than I imagine they could be. Now, this is just one site's opinion. This is one site taking a look at everything and saying this is where we this is where we put the line. Gophers could be better than that next year. They could go seven and five, eight and four, and then everything everything would be right with the world. You'd think, okay, this program regained its footing. They could have better years ahead, and maybe someday contend for something more meaningful than just you know being above average. I don't know. It just tells me that right now the outside perception is not great of this program. It's worse, I think, than I even imagined it was. The Gopher men's basketball team, I'd say so far, is exceeding. Maybe not by a ton, but exceeding expectations so far this year. Had a chance for a signature major upset win on Thursday night at Purdue. They led by, I think, eight at halftime. Everything was going their way. They couldn't sustain it, though. Purdue goes on a big run. The Purdue wins by, like, eight at the end. So the Gophers fall at number I think number two Purdue. That was a tough game, right? That's a, that's a tough one. But you know, you start to see like, hey, there's 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 more of this progress here. There's more of this opportunity. I think there's some winnable games down the stretch. But that one, you look at it, that was like that was like a game you had penciled in, or even written in ink, almost as a loss, even going in. So then they make you start to believe, like, wow, they're up. That could they pull off this major upset? Could they win this road game? And then they just couldn't pull it off. And Dustin Garcia was really good early on. Had a good game overall. Elijah Hawkins struggled to get things going offensively but he was distributing well like they got good performances up and down the lineup it just uh, it just didn't click ultimately for the Gophers so I don't know I don't know I can't characterize this as like one that got away because it was not one that I thought they had a realistic chance to win in the first place but when you go up eight at halftime you start to think oh man they can win this game automatically in the tournament conversation right like that's Put that on your resume at the end of the year like a potential number one seed winning winning on the road at a potential number one seed that that stands out at the end of the year so I don't know missed opportunities is I guess a better way to put this Gophers I don't think they can feel should feel terrible about this I don't think they're going to be hanging their heads but it is certainly a missed opportunity and one that might cost them at the end of the year Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan the passion the hope the anticipation, that incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino, let your story begin. I am very happy to be joined today by Rachel Blount from the Star Tribune. I want to talk skiing. I don't think we talk a lot of skiing on Daily Delivery, but maybe that's a miss on our part. And this is certainly a time to do it, Rachel, because World Cup event coming to Minneapolis this weekend. Tell me more about that. And first of all, how are you? I'm well, thank you. I'm really glad. I, I don't know how many people are glad to see the snow. I'm glad to see it because it will give us a little prettier atmosphere out at Worth Park for this event that has not been in the United States for 23 years. That's why we don't talk skiing, Mike, because we just don't have enough of it here. The World Cup is usually in Europe, occasionally in Canada, rarely in the U.S. So this is a really, really big deal to have these races here. And just the second time ever that they've been in Minnesota as well. So how did how did how did Minneapolis, how did Minnesota, the United States get this event in the first place? So the big reason that they 
we're not having this event for all these years was it's expensive to put these races on in Europe, they're government subsidized. So it's, you know, you don't have to raise all the private funds to do it. And of course, in the United States, there's not really a big constituency for cross country skiing. So it's not something that a lot of sponsors even know about, let alone are, are eager to put their money into. But Jesse Diggins, like so many things in the ski world, Jesse Diggins is is the the person that that made this happen. Sheer force of will by her. In 2011, her very first World Cup cross country race, she was 19 years old, was in Drammen, Norway. She looked around at this giant party and said, "This is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Why don't we have this in the United States?" And immediately started urging people in the United States to make this happen. And eventually, U.S. Ski and Snowboard got interested. Worth Park got interested. They have the right kind of trails. They have certified trails that are are uh, up to par for races of this caliber. And then when Jesse won the Olympic gold with Keegan Randall in 2018, that was the last piece of the puzzle. That gained enough fame for the sport and for Jesse that suddenly sponsors said, yes, we'd like to be part of this. So that's kind of how it happened. And then it was supposed to happen in 2020. Pandemic canceled it. But Worth Park really knew the Lopet Foundation at Worth Park really understood how to handle this event now, really wanted to pursue it again. We're able to get even more sponsors on board this time. It's a three and a half million dollar budget for this event, and nearly all of it is covered by sponsorships, donations, grants, that sort of thing. So here we are in 2024. Finally, Jesse's dream is going to come true. Obviously, Jesse Diggins, like you said, a, a huge driving force for all this. Is it still wild to think that the best, one of the best, the best skier in the world is from right here? You know, how wild is it to think that she was racing for Stillwater High School? Any of us years ago could have gone to a high school race at Worth Park or, or any of our other nice ski areas around here and watched Stillwater's girls team race and you would have seen an Olympic champion. It's it's mind boggling to me. And yet what better place than Minnesota, a hotbed of Nordic skiing to produce someone like this? I, I, I think she's one of the greatest athletes period that Minnesota has ever produced. I, I really do. I think she's right up there with, with any of the greats. And she's on top of her game right now. She is. At age 32, she has not slowed down at all. Cross-country skiing is not unlike distance running in that people uh, can really hit their stride when they're a little bit older. It's not a young person's sport like so many sports are. She is having the season of her life right now. And this is a season where she came forward in September and revealed that her eating disorder had returned and was unsure at that time if she would even participate in all the events, even was unsure whether she would be here at Worth Park to race this weekend. She had to take it on a day-by-day -day basis, see how her mental health was. She had a really, really good support system that enabled her to get right out to the first race in November. She was second place in the first race and has had uh, 
five podium or five first place finishes so far this year, 10 podium finishes, best season ever for her in those terms. And she leads the overall standings for the Women's World Cup. It's just a just a phenomenal season for her. Can't help but notice that, yes, we got snow the other day, but this winter has not been winter, really, for the most part here. And a lot of the discussion, you know, maybe among those who didn't know as much about how you get a course ready when it's not snowing was, is this even going to happen? Like, how precarious was it? How did they get this event to, how did they pull off this event, even without the help of our traditional winter? They've been making artificial snow out there for the last several months actually would even go beyond weeks they are an area where they've got snow making equipment so they can keep their trails covered in snow they can make snow when the weather allows if the temperature gets cold at night they can make it and stockpile it they cover it with tarps and so they have extra snow they have also brought in artificial snow from Highland Hills over in Bloomington. So other ski areas that are making snow have also given them some to bring over. They were inspected at Worth Park about a week ago by the International Ski Federation just to make sure those trails were in good enough shape for the World Cup, and they did pass muster. And since then, they've just continued to groom them, continued to keep that artificial snow on them. They won't be um, perfect, they won't probably be as, as good as they would have been if we'd had a normal winter, but they will be good enough. And one of our World Cup racers from Bloomington, Zach Ketterson, explained that the artificial snow can be a little icier than natural snow. So he thinks the impact on the races this weekend will be they'll be faster. We'll see these skiers really, really going at high speeds, which should be really fun to watch. That's interesting. I would have guessed the opposite. I would, I would have thought that the warmer weather, the artificial snow would make it kind of the stickier stuff like we think of when it gets warmer out here. So that's interesting to me that that's you could see faster skiers when the, when the racing starts on Saturday. Absolutely. Um, so the events, the, the events are Saturday and Sunday. Um, now what are the kind of the, the marquee things? What are the, what? Sh- I mean, we should watch all of it. But what you know, what are some of the, the biggest things that are happening out there, you know, from Saturday and Sunday perspective? So we have one type of race each day. Saturday, it's a sprint race for men and women. Sunday, it's a 10K for men and women. The sprint racing is multiple rounds. Everybody goes out. There will be around, I believe, 60 or 70 competitors. Everybody goes out and does a lap on the sprint course, records a time, top 30 times, move on to the quarterfinal heats and then they get all the way down to a final of six skiers that then go head to head on the course in that traditional kind of a format. Now the 10K will be an individual start. So instead of everybody on the start line going off at the same time, it's one racer at a time will go out and the fastest time wins. So that will look a little bit different. And the 10K, they'll do three laps around a distance course. The sprint course, it's a one lap and it's about three or four minutes to complete that race. The sprint course sounds like a distance course to me. I mean, this is this is like a this is a hard this is a hard thing to do. Like just imagining that. I'm not I'm not a cross country skier, but just like imagining the lung capacity it takes, the what it takes to be a cross country skier. Like these are some of the best athletes in the world. Not to mention that one of the best, if not the best of the best, is from Minnesota. I have to say, when you hear Jesse Diggins talking about this, 
I can't help but think who in their right mind would even do this? Who would even attempt this sport? Jesse routinely talks about how at the end of a race, she blacks out. She can't feel her legs. Everything, everything is dark. She doesn't know where she is. It's, it's just crazy the toll that this takes on your body. And here these folks are doing this pretty much every weekend from November to mid-March over and over and over. It is an unbelievably taxing event and an event where a sport where if you if you can't handle a really high amount of pain, you won't succeed. You have to be willing. You know that at the end of this race, you're just going to be ruined physically. And you have to get over that hump and recognize if you want to succeed, you got to be ready to really hurt. Jesse has talked about the pain cave, right? Isn't that, isn't that the thing she's talked about? I mean, there was the, the famous, like the finish at the Olympics where she's like, you know, charging up and just like collapsing at the end. Like the, it's exactly what you're talking about. They do that all the time. You see that a lot. I'm sure we'll see this on on Saturday and Sunday as well. These folks get across the finish line and then they're just down. You know, they're just sprawled out on the snow, just you know, barely able to get a breath. It's 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 kind of frightening to watch. And it's the the pain cave is obviously a real thing. And again, I can't really relate. I'm not sure I would want to do a sport that even has a term like pain cave, but you know. <laughs> But a lot of people want to watch this. People will be out uh, at Worth on Saturday and Sunday in in huge numbers. What what should we expect from that standpoint? What are they doing for fans? What's this kind of like? This is you know this is a celebration as well, as much as it is a competition. They're expecting crowds of around thirty thousand. They gave away many thousands of tickets. They released uh, general admission tickets that were free last summer, and those were all claimed within twenty four hours. So there's a huge demand, and they also sold uh, VIP and, and premium tickets. So there are some areas where you can sit in a grandstand or you can be in a warming tent. So they have the kind of the typical, it'd be like club seating at a at a regular sporting event. Expect a lot of cowbells. That's kind of the big thing at, at cross country World Cup, especially, is people are out there playing in those cowbells. There are going to be people, you know, enjoying their beverages and and enjoying their food, and it, it'll it'll be a very festive atmosphere, a very energetic atmosphere. I think it's going to be different and fun for Minnesota sports fans to to see this and experience this. It's not going to be like the Phoenix Open on snow, I hope. It's not going to be like everybody's just getting super rowdy and disrupting everything. But like, where do the, do you like, are they they allowed to just line the course? Where do you even watch an event that's 10 kilometers? Yes, people will be all around the course. So all of those general admission tickets, those are all basically standing tickets. So you can move around. It's it's not unlike golf, where you can move around to different areas along the course and stake out a spot uh, that you like, and then maybe go to a different spot to get a different vantage point. So yes, that's and that's something that Jesse hopes that people really enjoy is this is one of those unusual sports where spectators can be very close to the athletes and you really get a feel for the speed and strength and and energy that's flowing down that course. A couple more things for you, Rachel, really enjoying this conversation. Um, If you can't make it out, there's, it's, this is TV. This is a big event. It's like the big event of the year. So how, how do we watch it if we can't get out there? 
Yeah, they uh, they will be on NBC. You know, they televise uh, not only the Olympics, but lots of Olympic sports on the NBC networks. So CNBC will be showing this at 11.30 a.m. Sunday. They'll be showing the 10K. NBC at 3 p.m. Sunday will show the 10K on tape. And these races will be streaming on NBCSports.com, the NBC Sports app, and Peacock. Final thing. What's kind of what do you think is the mood going into this? There's such a I think people there's like probably some angst, like, hey, are we gonna be able to pull this off? And now this is kind of like the release. How do you think how do you think everybody's feeling now that we're getting like, you know, 24, 48 hours away from this starting? I think there's a sense of relief that we're here and the course is still good. And especially after 2020, that pandemic cancellation was just a few days before the event. They had put $2.6 million into it. Temporary grandstands built. They had bands booked. They had stages constructed. And all of a sudden, boom, it's it's over. It's not happening. And uh, in fact, Claire Wilson the executive director of the Lopet Foundation said there were some people that had PTSD afterwards because they, when they started talking about, do we make another bid? Do we try to get this back here? And there were some people that were just so crushed by that cancel. They worked for two years to get everything set up for that race. And, and all of a sudden it just sort of vanishes into thin air. So among the people that have been working for this now, of course, for six years, I think folks are, are just going to be so excited and so uh, relieved in a sense and just so jubilant that they finally, finally got this here and, and they'll get it. They'll get it pulled off. We talked a lot about Jesse Diggins, but there's other Minnesotans in this race. I think you referenced one more, but how, who else is competing that people might know or that should know going into this? Yeah, Elena Sonneson from Plymouth, who's been on the World Cup tour for a couple of years. She will be here. Um Let's see, Marty Freed will be here. Uh, Zach Ketterson from Bloomington will be here. He's a Bloomington, Bloomington Jefferson grad, raced in high school and for uh, the Lopet Nordic team. So we'll have uh, one man and I believe five or six women from Minnesota that will be uh, part of the, the field. Well, should be a great weekend. I'm glad they got this to the finish line or will get this to the finish line by the, by the time this is all done. Um, Rachel, I'm sure we'll follow your coverage all weekend and everything that's going on. Appreciate your time today and uh, I'm sure we'll talk soon. Sounds great, Mike. Thank you. Great stuff from Rachel as usual. Um, follow her coverage, of course, of the World Cup skiing event, Star Tribune and StarTribune.com. I believe there's a kind of a big media availability today and then, of course, the racing on Saturday and Sunday. Rachel will have you covered. I'm sure other folks will be out there as well from the Star Tribune, so check that out. Should be a huge event. Sounds like about 30,000 people, something like that, out on those days. So, you know, kind of will have the feel, like Rachel said, of kind of like a golf tournament. Kind of feel like a, you know, like a, you know, watch along the along the course, cheering, cowbells, everything like that. Should be very festive. The weather should be pretty nice this weekend as well. So go Check that out. Royal Credit Union Smart Checking Accounts offer no monthly fees and no minimum balance. Enjoy financial freedom when you open your Royal Credit Union Smart Checking Account online at rcu.org slash go checking. Insured by NCUA. Got a bunch of stuff to get to. Let's let's throw it all into the cooler. Timberwolves routed uh, the Blazers. They end up with a really good road trip. I remember they lost that game, that weird game against the Bulls where they let that lead get away, and you're like, oh, the sky's falling. And then they 
kind of rebound the rest of that trip. Four double-digit wins the rest of the way. 24 at Milwaukee, 21 over the Clippers, and then 12. And then yesterday, 128-91. What's a 37-point win over Portland? Just dominant. Not in every stretch, right? Like they had a couple lulls in those Portland games, but you know, 39 and 16 now at the break. Now I really hope they can <clears throat> get a little rest. I know that Ant and Conthony Towns and Chris Finch are going to the All Star game. Um, I know that you know they're gonna, there's going to be a lot of attention and scrutiny on them, but they should get some time off after that because they don't play again until Friday after that. But things are going to start to get pretty serious post break here. I know that there's, they're a nice story right now. They're going to be in the spotlight some here at the All Star game. I think there's a big Anthony Edwards feature out now in Vanity Fair. Um, I talked to you yesterday about how ESPN's doing this all-access with the Timberwolves next Friday, their first game back when they play the Bucks at Target Center, like a whole day of Wolves-related programming sprinkled in throughout the day on all their various shows. Um, so the, it's gonna start to, they're going to start to feel a little bit of, the, okay, um, we're, people are starting to take us seriously as frontrunners. I'll be curious to see how they handle that. I think Ant is certainly ready for that moment, relishes that moment, but when it arrives, it is a little bit different than just thinking about it or saying you want it. So things are going to start to get a little bit more serious post-break, and then we watch how they react to that. I want to do more on Iowa women's basketball star Caitlin Clark on an upcoming show. She'll be here twice in Minneapolis and not too long. Once when Iowa plays the Gophers in, I think, February 28th, so 12 days from now. And then again, not too long after that for the Big Ten women's basketball tournament. So we're going to have more Caitlin Clark coverage here on the show and certainly in the Star Tribune, startribune.com. But uh, you can't not talk about her right now because she just set the all-time NCAA women's basketball scoring record, had 49 points in Thursday's game, to, in, in the game that set that all-time record. She now has 3,569 points, broke the record with what they, you know, the, they call it the logo three, the deep three from the logo, over 30 feet, swish. Just an unbelievable moment for her. Breaks the record at home, um, kind of a, a storybook finish storybook way to do that almost and uh so yeah congratulations to her and we'll do way more caitlin clark coverage down the road when she's a little bit closer to playing in the twin cities and not too long and finally i find myself agreeing with rob manford again i didn't like a lot of his early tenure as mlb commissioner love the pitch clock and now i love where he is on streaming baseball games and i'm a little I'm, a, I'm not just a little, I'm way more annoyed now with the Twins that they went back to Bally Sports, went back to Diamond Sports for 2024, knowing how hard Rob Manford, the Major League Baseball commissioner, is pushing for every team to come over to the Major League Baseball side, have their games streamed and distributed on cable satellite through Major League Baseball. Again, we don't know what the economics are at this point, but of course, money talks. I really want to know. I'm trying to find out how much the Twins are getting from Bally Sports North this year because that is that is the kind of the key component to all this because they told us all offseason that they weren't going to be able to spend as much money because they had the kind of this looming TV question out there. I got to know how much less they're getting this year because their payroll is way down. Their opening day payroll looks like it's going to be 20 to 25 million dollars less than it was last year. Is that how much less money they're getting from TV? Probably not. So I want to find that out. I want to know more about that. But Rob Manford talking to reporters on Thursday, talking about trying to get teams 
off of that kind of the Bally Sports kind of Diamond Sports carousel and onto Major League Baseball, which could happen as soon as 2025. So it's a question of reach. You've got to get the games in the household, and the economics of the broadcast in some ways are secondary to the rest of our business, Manfred said. Think about it this way. If there's a house with young kids and they're cord cutters with no way to watch baseball, it's unlikely that those kids are going to be fans and are going to be af- and are going to be after their parents go to a game. You have to look at it big picture over the longer term. He said, our goal is to preserve what is the remainder of the legacy cable bundle, Manfred said. So it's not like talking about replacing cable. Plenty of people are going to be watching cable and satellite TV for 10, 20, 30 years maybe. That's just how people want to get it. They're still going to get it that way. But he said the economics of that bundle are really important to us. There are some people, including Rob Manfred, who will be clutching that cable remote until they until they die. I do, however, recognize that there are a lot of people, for reasons completely unrelated to baseball or any programming, for fundamental economic reasons, that opt out of that cable bundle. We need to. We have to serve those people. Amen. Rob Manfred, he gets it. Can they get the money to work? Can they figure this all out in time to get? all those people that they've lost in the last three to five years to start watching baseball again. It's a fascinating question. It's not just a baseball question, but baseball has the most games. They've got the most eyeballs during those months where there's not as much on. There's less competition. They are the ones that are probably in this for the long haul that are in this, that are most invested in this. I'd say the NBA is probably second in that. Those are the two that have been kind of been at the forefront of this. Can they figure this out? Can they find an economic model for the team, a distribution model, things like that? Maybe 2025 is when we finally get there. I just wish we were there in 2024, and I think Rob Manfred does too. And maybe in their heart of hearts, the Twins would have liked to get there a year earlier, and they just couldn't make it work this year. But disappointing to a certain degree, and we'll see where this gets to down the road. That will do it for me today. Patrick Royce expected to join me on Monday on all sorts of stuff. Until then, I am Michael Rand, back at it again on Monday. <laughs>